Welcome to True Talks, an honest and open look into the challenges we all face every day dealing with God, family, and others. Now, here's Pastor Tim Buttry, founder and CEO of True Relationships. Well, good morning. When Pastor Gill asked me to do this message and gave me the, the Advent theme of simply Christmas, I, I, I had an immediate understanding of what I believed I was supposed to focus on. I was a bit nervous about this focus, simply because it didn't feel very Christmassy. Um, I certainly don't want to be a Scrooge, because we love Christmas, and, and Linda loves Christmas, and she's like, she'll start planning Christmas on January 1st. So uh, it, it's not about that, but, but it was important for me that I somehow boiled it all down to the essence of what this is all about. And it's so easy for us, especially in this culture, to really miss what Christmas is about. When I considered the word simply and went to its primary, I looked at the word simple. And there was something about the word simple. It seems to always carry a a, a somewhat of a negative connotation. Um, You know, like you hear the word, you know, simple-minded, or you hear somebody that that says, uh, well, how could you have missed that? It was so simple. You almost feel, you know, like dumb. But I realized quickly that as, as an adverb, that word changes its focus. It, it becomes more positive. It takes on a more positive intent. It leaves us with the idea of describing something's original intent or, or getting to the true essence of something, delivering something in a more straightforward or plain manner, as the dictionary puts it. One commercial that I think all of you have probably seen, kind of gets the essence of that theme. And I I wanted to share it with you this morning. So watch this commercial. I think you'll get where I'm going to. No flashy upgrades. No version 2.0. No Orange 4 or Orange 5. Nope. Not for you, Oranges. See, you started out unfooled around with. And that's just the way you're going to stay. Not new, not improved, still perfect. Simply orange. Honestly simple. That embodies where I hope this talk will take us this morning. Like many of you, I grew up believing I understood the true meaning of Christmas. We listened to Christmas sermons at church. We participated in the traditional Christmas play as kids. We read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. But like fast food and sodas, it also included a a lot of filler, processing, and unnecessary ingredients. Looking back, It was distracting and maybe even a little spiritually unhealthy. So I'm hoping to bring you a Christmas talk that has been, as was said in the commercial, unfooled around with. No talk about Christmas trees or lights or presents or little drummer boys. Nope, this morning, 
is simply Christmas. The first thing I'd like to share with you this morning is the first simple truth that I identify about Christmas speaks to Jesus' very purpose for being born. He came to suffer and die on a horrible cross so that God could forgive our sins and restore us to Him once and for all. The writer of Hebrews actually uses that phrase of what Jesus came to do, and he said that He has done this work on Calvary once and for all. We use that phrase. It's become a part of our colloquial English. Once and for all. It's a biblical phrase. It came from the idea of what Jesus came to do, and He did it once. He finished it. He completed the work, and He did it for everyone. Now, the point I want to make in this is that Jesus is God. And as God, He did not have to do what He did. He didn't have to do it. We'll read later this morning that that God, because of our sin, God was actually angry. And in His anger, He could have just annihilated the whole human race and started over. He could have done that. Aren't you glad that's not the Christmas message? Aren't you glad that's not the way it went? Because John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved, yeah, angry, yes, loved even more. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. In the Gospels, we find a very unsettling story of when Jesus began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple courts. Perhaps you remember the story. He turned over the money tables and the benches where sacrifices were being sold. I think Christmas, not to mention my heart, probably yours too, can sometimes become like those unwieldy temple corridors, acquiring and giving out chaos, and clutter, religious, but rejecting godliness. I found a work of prose by an individual named Jean Danielou. It's entitled, Be Free for God. It just seems to hit the mark. And I'd like to read it to you. It says this, I have a need of such clearance as the Savior affected in the temple of Jerusalem a riddance of clutter of what is secondary that blocks the way to the all-important central emptiness which is filled with the presence of God alone I ask you this question what is blocking the way for you to simply enjoy Christ this Christmas. What's blocking the way? I mean, it could be a different thing for every single person in this room. And I'm not going to take time to try to delineate things that might be getting in your way. What I do want to do is just have you do the work. Investigate your own soul. Even ask God, like 
David, know my heart, O God. See if there be anything that's blocking the way. Another way of putting it. I hope you'll do that today, this season. What's blocking the way? Isaiah 53, a prophetic word about Jesus the Messiah, is super intense. And it really does tell us the message, the story about why this Jesus had to come and what he would accomplish. Read it with me. Isaiah 53. It was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements. All the things wrong with us. It was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment. And that, that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. (laughs) We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burdens of their sins. We, you and me, we are those righteous ones. (laughs) That's how God sees us now. Because Jesus left heaven and came to earth, we are called the righteous ones. How does that happen? That is the glory of Christmas. That's the essence of it. Jesus came so that we could become, we could be restored back to those righteous ones. Paul puts it a little bit less eloquent than Isaiah did, but the power of this message is the same. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And it says this, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. Wow. You don't think about that being part of Christmas, do you? That Christmas came about because God had to find a way to appease His anger and the ugliness of our sin. And there was no just, oh, God loves us, so He's just going to forgive us. That would be against His very justice. That's impossible for God to do. There had to be a sacrifice for our sin. And God did that Himself through the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Emmanuel, the Bible calls Him, God with us. When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the very first time, His impromptu introduction to those around him was, Look! The Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Wow! 
He didn't say, look, it's the manger boy. It's the one who came and was it? No, he introduced him as the Lamb of God who took away our sins. Don't wait till Easter to acknowledge and embrace this truth. Because the fact of the matter is, this is the primary purpose that Jesus was born. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Oswald Chambers, in his great devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, I recently read a passage that just grabbed my heart. And he said this, The only ground on which God can forgive us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Christ. So to put forgiveness on any other ground is unconscious blasphemy. The only ground on which God can forgive sin and reinstate His favor is through the cross of Christ and in no other way. Forgiveness, listen to this, forgiveness which is so easy for us to accept cost the agony of Calvary. I guess that's what I want to get across. We make Christmas so easy. You know what I mean. I know it's not easy. There's a lot of work. But, but we, we just let it kind of drift in and then drift out. And nothing has affected us. Nothing has impacted us. I just don't want that to happen this year. I want the, the true essence of Christmas to transform my thinking and to get me ready for the new year. I mean, I, I know it's not any design, I believe, by God necessarily, But somehow, New Year's comes after Christmas. I'm glad for that. Because on Christmas, I want to be changed. I want to see the glory. I want to see the potential of what God has done for me. And I want to be able to start a new year realizing that in a fresh and new way that will give me passion and hope and purpose. I mean, that's really what Christmas is all about peace, and goodwill toward men. Another simple truth about Christmas is that Jesus was born to destroy the great deceiver, the devil. The the very first prophecy, that foretelling of this one who would be the Messiah, the, the foretelling of that actually came very early in the story of humanity. It's found just after the fall in Genesis 3.15. And here's what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. What God is saying there, when He says, I will put enmity, well, you can kind of look at that, maybe get the idea of enemy out of it. But what's really being said is, I... God am declaring war against you and this devil. Between your offspring and hers, he, parenthetically, Jesus, that is who he's talking, that's who God is talking about here, okay? He will crush your head, the serpent. He will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. Nearly all biblical scholars, past and present, identify the he in this verse as the Messiah, Jesus. The rest identify the woman's offspring collectively as the church. Either way, Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy because the church wouldn't have the power to do anything if it weren't because of what Jesus did to restore us and to fill us with His Holy Spirit. So either way you look at it, Jesus is the one who's actually doing the crushing of the devil. The devil is still on the prowl. His days are numbered, and he knows it. (laughs) Don't allow him to steal, kill, or destroy any more. Jesus came to break the power of the devil and free us from his deceptions. Leave it all behind. Whatever the deception is, whatever the habit is, whatever the controlling sin is in your life, Jesus came on Christmas to free you. Don't let it hold you any longer. In Galatians 5.1, Paul puts it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And do not let yourselves be burdened again. (laughs) It's like, it's been done. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The third simple truth that I'd like to share with you this morning is that Jesus humbled himself and left heaven for you. I have another question for you. How will you respond to that? I mean, really, it demands a response. How will you respond to what it is that Jesus came to do? The final scripture I want to share with you is as much about us as human beings as it was about Jesus coming as human. In verse 5 of Philippians 2, it says, You must, did you catch that word there, must? I mean, that's pretty imperative, isn't it? I mean, that's not leaving a lot of wiggle room. You must have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Okay, what was that? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. How should, how does this attitude show up in our daily lives? I mean, how would it look if you were to give up your privilege as an employer or a leader? What would this kind of humility look like in your marriage or as a parent? How should this obedience that Jesus exemplified show up in my life, in your life? 
especially in regards to what God has been speaking to your heart about, but you've been afraid to step out. Fear not. Jesus said, I'm with you. That's Christmas. That's Emmanuel. God with us. Be not afraid, for I am with you. He said, even to the ends of the earth, nothing to be afraid of. Has the stress or commercialization of Christmas diluted your heart? I mean, that's possible, isn't it? Has Christmas become just another item on your calendar with a list of duties to check off? A spiritual holiday, sure. But really, to some, it's just some time off of work and maybe a little bit of fun. Maybe it's time to change our perspective. Maybe it's time to look at this story a little differently. To close... I'd like to read from a little devotional Christmas book called A Walk, One Winter Night. I'm not going to read the entire little book, but I'd like to read some portions of it. And I'll set it up. Imagine it's you instead of the person that's going to be talking. Imagine it's you stressed out with Christmas. Demands, expectations... Things you've looked forward to, but now are feeling the pressure of. Well, this man found himself at that place. Stressed, dissatisfied, a little jaded. And on Christmas Eve, he needed to just get away from it all. And he went out on a walk on a winter's night with snow drifting in the air. Imagine yourself like he, walking down this snowy sidewalk... And he stopped at the corner, and he looked to his right, and there was a life-size manger scene. Something inside of him drew him to that. He turned, and he looked at it and stared at it like it was a, a Rembrandt painting or something. And this is what he saw. She wore blue. Mary always wears blue. A neatly pressed, clean blue garment. Her face, porcelain and untouchable. Had a fixed expression, pleasant and peaceful. With her fragile hands folded in prayer, she gazed down adoringly at her child. She was perfect, this Mary. Pristine, with moisture glistening on her smooth ceramic shawl. Joseph wore brown. Joseph always wears brown. Brown is a fitting color for a character relegated to the background, for someone who never gets top billing. His eyes appeared vacant, and his beard was neatly trimmed. He was there as he always is, on the edges. He can't seem to find his place. Everyone else has something distinctive. Wings, crowns, gifts, halos. A shepherd's crook. But all he has is brown. Then there was the baby Jesus. His tiny arms extended. The star attraction. A halo encircled his little head, reaching from ear to ear. A clean white fabric wrapped him. 
Swaddled, I suppose, is the appropriate Christmas word to use. He smiled an unearthly smile. He's always happy, this manger Jesus. It looked like he'd never slept and never cried. It didn't appear that he wanted to be held, nursed, or cuddled either. I won't take the time to describe the others, but you know them well. You probably even know where each is positioned in the stable. The shepherds go there, the camels and the sheep over there, the wise men there, there, and there. I imagine you too are accustomed to their presence. I remain standing, trying to stay warm, looking at them through the gauzy mist I pondered. I simply couldn't relate to them in any way. They seemed remote and untouchable just like this season had become for me. With considerable guilt, I wondered, why don't I like these people? After this abrupt and irreverent thought came to me, I half expected the ground underneath to open up and swallow me whole, or a bolt of lightning to descend with a flash and a snap, leaving a little pile of smoldering ashes that used to be me. I closed my eyes and waited for the end. Thankfully, neither the heavens nor the ground opened, so I continued my gaze. And then something happened, something I frankly don't expect you to believe. I heard a noise coming from Mary's direction. It startled me. Who's that, I said. Though her figure didn't move, a soft voice pleaded. This is not me, she cried. This is not real. And her voice broke. Please, Listen to me. My garment, it isn't clean. It's not this brilliant shade of blue. It's a blue faded by the dust of a long journey to Bethlehem. It smells of my sweat and of the mule whose back I rode upon. My blue is stained with red, the blood of birth. It's soiled by the dung of a stable floor. And my face, my real face, is blemished. I'm a teenage girl. My brow is furrowed from worry. Worry about this baby, about tomorrow. What will Herod do? Will he find us? And my eyes, my eyes are red from tears of pain. I am so lonely and afraid. This is my first baby. And my mother is not here with me. This is not who I am. She said again, I am real. Please let me be real. And her voice trailed off. Her words, both gentle and moving, reached inside of me so deeply I could barely breathe. And while I was catching my breath, I heard a deeper voice. You are wrong about me too. It was coming from Joseph's direction. This is not me. This is not real. Please listen to me, he said firmly. I started to take a step backwards, but his voice riveted me in place. Listen, he repeated. Really listen. I am not the quiet, simple character you make me out to be. My eyes are not vacant. Hours ago, they were full of fire. When I grabbed the innkeeper's tunic with a tight grip and said, Don't you tell me that there's not some room somewhere? And he found a place for us. 
I am a man with a purpose to travel where I was told to go and to lead my family safely there, and we made it. Now that we are here, I am still on guard, for we are in danger. Joseph continued, Yes, I wear brown, but it is for stealth. I blend in with my surroundings, and from my vantage point, my eyes can scan every opening in this place for anyone who is out to do us harm, and no one will get by me. Let them try. You can blame this on my dad. He cries when he describes a great burrito. (sighs) I am the keeper of this light, and I will keep him safe. You are wrong about me. This is not who I am. I am real. Please, let me be real. His words soaked into me like the evening's mist. I felt admonished and awakened to something that was true. And then I heard a cry. I looked at Jesus in the wooden manger. He was thrashing about in the hay. He had soiled himself. And he looked uncomfortable. His cloth was twisted in his arms and legs. He grimaced from the prickly straw. His face was red and his cry grew louder, the cry of a hungry infant. His toothless mouth opened and he arched his back. He cried so hard that he ran out of breath. And for a moment, it was quiet. But I knew it was the quiet before he drew another breath. And then he wailed so loudly, I expected the lights in the nearby houses to turn on and the neighbors to come running out. I wondered if he too would speak. But he didn't need to. Somehow his words were in me and I spoke for him. This is not me. This is not real. Please listen to me. The reason I came, the reason I was sent, was to be real. To feel everything you felt. To know everything you need because I needed it too. To hurt like you hurt. Cry like you've cried. Laugh like you've laughed. Skin my knee like you skin your knee. And have my heart broken like your heart has been broken. I came so that one day, or one winter night, when you come face to face with your defeat, your moment of absolute need, you can come to me and say, you know this too. Be with me and lead me through it. And I will. This is not me. I am real. Please. Let me be real. Seeing Christmas as it really was, maybe just what the doctor ordered. Seeing the dirt and the grime of the manger, the humility of leaving his divinity and all its privileges behind, and ultimately dying on a cross for us is truly the glory of Christmas. I'd like to close with a prayer that is not my own, though I've made it my own after reading it. It's a prayer by a man by the name of Ted Loder, and it's found in his book entitled, My Heart in My Mouth. I like that. 
Perhaps you could just close your eyes only for the purpose of letting my words or Ted's words sink into your own heart as we allow God's Holy Spirit to emphasize what it is He needs to in our hearts or to convict us of something that we have allowed to go unchecked. And the prayer goes like this. O God of such truth as sweeps away all lies, of such grace as shrivels all excuses, come now to find us, for we have lost ourselves in a shuffle of disguises and the rattle of empty words. Let your Spirit move mercifully to recreate us from the chaos of our lives. We have been careless of our days, our loves, our gifts, our chances. Our prayer is to change, O God, not out of despair of self, but for love of you. And for the selves we long to become before we simply waste away. Let your mercy move in and through us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the privilege, the honor of listening to me today. And let me bring to you what I consider an unconventional sort of Christmas message. But I hope that you heard my heart today. And I hope that there's something that you can personally take with you into this Advent season that will change your perspective, that will cause you to look at Christmas differently than maybe you ever have your whole life. In True Talks with Pastor Tim Buttrey. If you'd like more information about true relationships, just visit us on the web at truerelationships.org.